0: From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where well, we dive deep into the Catholic faith. Today we're going to talk about exorcisms, talking about diving deep today, Father House rolls his eyes. I'm Andrew Hansen. <laughs> she's Amber Cervany, Father Chris House. First off, the movie The Exorcist, a classic. Love it. And Amber has
1: never seen it. As a Catholic, how, is, is that, I mean, how, how do you not see that movie? I mean, this is what I know. Just researching this, I've been doing the Sign of the Cross like every few minutes because I've been so <laughs> afraid. So.
0: Come on.
1: I mean, I want to see it, but I think I got to be like really prepared. And finally, I
0: mean, you know, we get we get kind of lost in the theatrics of that movie, but by and large, it's a very
2: it's well accurate, accurate portrayal. Yeah, very well done. You know, uh, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book, uh was inspired to do so as a student at Georgetown, I believe, and went after he had read a uh, written account of a young man who was from Silver Spring, Maryland, who eventually they brought him all the way to the Jesuits in St. Louis, and there they conducted an exorcism on him, I believe, in the nineteen forties. And it was uh it was done over several days, over several weeks, and it was successful. But uh yeah, so it's not uh all the things that happened in the movie, of course, did not happen in uh, in the real life of the
0: the the head spinning is I know something that I think maybe some exorcists have have described you know facial deformities right. and yeah. stuff like that. But I don't know if anyone's ever said they've seen a head spin.
2: I don't know. There is super fa- supernatural manifestations do happen, but that's just that's more of a manifestation of Hollywood, I think, with the head spinning. But I mean, I have never done an exorcism. God <laughs> willing, I will never do an exorcism. So. Yes, well, yeah,
0: definitely so. But so in all seriousness, though, uh, this is definitely something that the church is, is seeing more of. Um, and, you know, things I've read and diocese have said and, and exorcists have said they, they are having to do more of these. A lot of it because of our godlessness culture, uh, people getting involved in Ouija boards and, um, you know, palm readings and things like that. So First Father House. And not just that, but other illicit behavior. Uh, Pornography, pornography as a, as like is like number big, one.
2: People don't think about that. Pornography is a gateway, you know, drug use, alcohol abuse, all these things, because it's all about a turning inward in that. And so, yeah, there's just, it's not just, you know, tarot and Ouija. Um, it's other things that maybe people don't think about as being a gateway to
0: evil. So, you know, in the movie, The Exorcist, it's a, it's a 12-year-old girl who, who's possessed and I feel like I've I've read kind of conflicting things on can I can I be possessed? And you know you mentioned a gateway. You know if you open yourselves up to right. evil, but seemingly I would think this twelve year old girl wasn't opening herself up to evil. So does that mean no? But frankly, any was, of
2: us could all of a sudden become. Well, possessed? but she was playing with the Ouija board. Remember? Oh, she was. A she child. was playing okay. with the Ouija board in there. So and yeah, the whole thing with you know Ouija and tarot and all these things, it's that you're calling on a power. That you don't understand and that you can in no way control. That is the great danger with these things. You're calling on a power that's not divine, that's not God, that's not good. So you're opening a doorway and you cannot control what comes through that. And so, um, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, that's one way. But also these other aspects as well. So the idea is, you know, people who strive to live a Christian life sinners though we are, if we're striving to live a, a God-centered life, a life that's rooted and strengthened by the sacraments, you know, it's, it just doesn't happen that somebody gets possessed. It doesn't happen that way.
0: So, you don't, you, Amber, you don't need to keep making the sign of the cross over um, and over
1: again. <laughs> but now, but it is true. Is that true? I mean, that's what I read, that if you can do the sign of the cross, <laughs> you're not
2: possessed. Is that true? <laughs> well... One would think so, but there are also, there are possessed people who are able to receive communion or able to receive the Eucharist yeah, in no, the process of, doesn't mean that the demon or the entity is not still there, but yeah, so just, yeah, that can also be a deception.
0: Yeah, because um, Father Amworth, who was the previous chief exorcist in Rome, he has since deceased, uh, been deceased, he's been deceased for a few years now. You know, this was his, this was his life. He did exorcisms all the time. And he talked about where people, you know, it's always, it's always a process. It's not like he he performs an exorcism and willy nilly, you know, game over, you know, you know, we can, yep, that's good. we're done. You know, it's, it's such, it's a process that can take a very long time. And in that process, these people can still, they go to, they go to confession, they go to communion, they pray. And despite that, they are still technically still possessed. And it's not like they're, you know, they're showing those signs all the time, because clearly, you know, if you're going to go receive communion, you know, you know, they're not showing those signs. But um, he, he had some very fascinating stories, and you know, we bring up the movie The Exorcist. You know, he talked a lot about those those crazy encounters of, you know, speaking in in tongues, speaking in different languages, uh, f- you know, being able to do physical feats of strength that would be otherwise impossible uh, knowing what's on his mind or pointing something out that sh- should be unknown. Um, and that's kind of stuff that, you know, it freaks you out. But the thing about exorcism is, is it always points back to evil exists. Right. And I think that's, that's something in this world that we, the, the, the ways of our world there's people aren't talking about that enough.
2: No. And the fact and the, the trick really is that all those things you've talked about, those manifestations in cases where somebody has fallen victim to some type of demonic influence or demonic possession even, those things don't always happen.
1: Yeah, that's because, what's scary.
2: Well, and the the thing is, you know, the devil is a proud being. That I mean, that's the devil's great sin, why he fell from grace, is because of his pride. But the devil also likes to work in secret, doesn't want to be seen. So it can be very difficult to make a judgment as to whether or not a person may truly be possessed because the devil doesn't hold up a sign and says, here I am. Um, yes. Sometimes these things are manifested in that points to it, but that doesn't always happen. That's but, not always the case. And
0: I want to be crystal clear because that's a great great point you just made is the church just, you know, when, when the church receives a case, I'm going to throw out, a, I would say like 99% of them, we, you know, do you have to go through a, an extensive process of psychological background, mental Correct. health? The church just doesn't say, we'll take this on. I mean, uh, what percentage would you think cases even make it to the, quote, exorcism stage?
2: Oh. One uh, percent? Maybe. Maybe. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean. It's incredible. I mean, it's incredibly rare. I mean, at the diocesan level, if we get a request for an exorcism, we send it right back first to the parish priest because, which they're thrilled with, but, but, but it's about, you know, <laughs> they're I making mean, a sign of the cross. So what's, <laughs> what's going on? So the whole thing's, you know, it could be about, you know, get your house blessed, renew your baptismal promises, various things like that. You know, are you, are you, is your imagination getting the best of you? I mean, what are you watching on TV? What are you reading? Different things like that. So there's, we look for anything and everything, and at the end of the day, even if a case progresses, even if there may be, you know, appears to be some credibility, we have to rule out every environmental possibility, every medical, whether that's physical, whether that's emotional, psychological, whatever it is, all these things have to be ruled out.
0: What happens during an exorcism? Describe the process, the prayers. I know you've never performed one, Um Although, you know, you rightly pointed out when we were talking beforehand, uh, every time you perform a baptism, it's yeah. an exorcism.
2: There's an exorcism, right, in every, every baptismal rites. So, yeah. But it was, an exorcism is a driving out of evil. That's in essence what an exorcism is. So it happens in baptism. But an exorcism itself, and one thing I have to remember, though, an exorcism is not this magical tool that the church has. Is. An exorcism is what we call a sacramental. It's not the same as a sacrament. The sacraments, the seven sacraments, those seven specific signs and gifts instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, they are manifestations of the divine presence. They are the strongest thing we have in the fight against evil. So especially a good confession and frequent reception of Holy Communion. There are no greater personal tools that a person can use in their own life of faith to keep evil at bay in their life, from those two realities. So, an exorcism itself is a series of prayers. It's a series of prayers offered to God, asking God to drive this evil presence out.
0: And it's called it be. the the rite. Right, it's a ritual. So, yeah. and and has that has that prayer been kind of passed on since? The beginning? Oh, wait, my gosh, yes, it goes back. Well, I mean, well, Jesus— But the power of Christ
2: compels you. Is is, is that in there from from the movie? Yes, that is in there. Okay. So, you know, I mean, Jesus did exorcisms. We see this in the Gospels. He sent his disciples out. They did exorcisms. So this, I mean, from the earliest days of the church, exorcism has been a reality. Now, science, medicine has given us— explanations for why certain behaviors take place so the number of exorcisms has gone down is it still a reality yes can a person be possessed and still suffer from a medical condition yes the devil can use those things as a mask to hide behind to confuse the exorcist as he attempts to discern whether or not this is a valid case
1: okay so recently um in South in Colombia, I think it was Colombia. The the bishop did a like a massive exorcism on the whole city. Um, how how does that work? Well,
2: basically, he's if I remember the story correct, it was because there was a terrible problems with crime. Mm-hmm. Drugs, violence, murder, all these things. So basically the problem of evil had really manifested itself. So the bishop is saying prayers of supplication against these powers. So it's not an exorcism in the sense of what we see in the movie or what, or what an exorcist does properly. The bishop was – because in the appendix of the rite of exorcism is these prayers of supplication against uh, evil – so I'm assuming that's probably what he was doing. So this notion, just in general, of, of you know, asking God to break the power of evil, to push it out, to push it away from this place.
1: So do you kind of have to announce it? I mean, because it made it made quite a bit of new. At least it did Catholic Twitter. Yeah. I've been I've been reading <laughs> it on Catholic Twitter. Um,
2: Beware of Catholic. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. It's entertaining. But so,
1: um, but is it something that has to be like kind of proclaimed? I'm doing an ex- like you have to let well, somebody know. Or no, can- if
2: we were if if. Uh, like I said, it's a different thing. An exorcism on a person would be very private. So he didn't
0: perform like the actual rite in that situation. It was more Like I said, a- it was
2: probably the supplication prayers that are found in the appendix. So okay. like I said, remember- He any, dropped holy water on the way. So that's why you're always blessing yourself you know? Any type of prayer against walk around against with a can, evil. Amber? Just a can of holy water? <laughs> I so need to know. get some for my house, yeah. actually. I started thinking about that. Oh <laughs> any type of prayer against evil, that's an exorcism. So it's a a prayer to drive that out. It's a form of it. Now let's give a shout out to the Catholic church
0: because anytime, anytime (laughs) non-Catholics feel like they actually are possessed, they come to the Catholic church, which always kind of, you know.
2: Well, that's in the original story that inspired Blatty. This young man was actually, I believe was a Lutheran. And they took him to the Lutheran pastor and the Lutheran pastor, uh, Nice. I think he. I don't know if he got injured in in the whole in the beginning of the saga or not, but they just they were referred to the Catholics. So I just, I just find that you know and mysteriously to the Jesuits. <laughs> but we'll leave that for other times. So
0: someone actually thinks evil is there, so it's like let's turn to the Catholic Church because they actually know how to deal with it. Well, you know, I shout
1: mean, out,
2: shout out to us. Right? Do
1: you take classes to be an exorcist?
2: Uh, there is training for it. Yeah, it's in the seminary. Boy, back in the day, I don't remember us ever talking about it. Um, well, okay. So I I swear it was Pope Benedict
0: who, who saw this and he brought bishops and maybe priests from around and they, they had a summit of, of, you know, some sort to, to discuss this. And part of that was to try to have a trained exorcist in each diocese, or at least in a general region. And it was fascinating because, you know, that got so much news because, you know, exorcism, the word exorcism always gets big news, but it's almost like Pope Benedict saw that and saw our world changing, going more, you know, falling more astray. And, and you know, we, we continue to see that. And to have someone trained in certain regions around the world to deal with this, he saw as a priority.
2: Right. And, and you know, Bishop Apraki responded to that. And so he, in the past, I assume we had them or had one. I don't know. We do have one now. And that we keep his identity secret. I am not the exorcist, so so I am not. You strike off one. Yeah, I am not he. Um, But uh, yeah, and so, and there are classes, courses. I mean, it's, because the, the main thing is the exorcist has to be able to discern, has to discern with the help of the Holy Spirit whether or not something is, if it's a true thing or not. Because if it's not a case of possession and the person has some type of, Mental disturbance or illness, we don't want to harm that person anymore by doing something that's going to be counter to their mental health.
0: What are some? Of, have you spoken to exorcists and mm-hmm. uh, um, describe some of their experiences? What have they told you?
2: I have never actually spoken to an exorcist who has done. Actually, I take the back. I've never spoken to an exorcist who's done an exorcism.
0: Well, then that tells you right there how, ra- how still, yeah. how still how rare. Even even though it's becoming more prevalent, still how rare it is. Right. Um, that's fascinating. I mean, it's, it's, it's so fascinating the, the, the right. And to hear those words, um, you know, the, seeing the movie, the exorcist, we've seen a lot of dec- documentaries come out right. a- about it. Um, Well, it, people
2: are fascinated by the whole concept and that in itself is something to be careful of is this over fascination. In fact, even the, the ritual, I don't know if it still says it today, but I know in the old texts, you know, the exorcist shouldn't be someone who, can, who intellectually is kind of looking and looking for answers in that because, of course, the devil, a demon, can reveal secrets and can answer questions and reveal greater knowledge. And that can be a tool by which a demonic force then compromises what's happening. In fact, even the exorcist is not really supposed to engage it's not supposed to answer questions. So yeah, the, the guy, right. will, the,
0: you know, the possessed person. It used person to be the
2: case that they would ask certain questions, but even now it's like, no, you don't engage the but hostile power. The, um, the goal is
0: to get, sorry, Amber, the goal is to get the demon's name out in, in most cases is the way I read. I think I remember from from Father Amirth, where he said, you know, the process takes and if you can get the person who's possessed to reveal the name of the demon, that's almost when, I'm say, you have them because, because then now there's
2: power in the there's name, the power in the, 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 power in the reveal, the there's yes. power in the
0: reveal. And so if, if an exorcist can get to that point, um, that's, that's obviously a good sign that perhaps maybe the possession will be fully removed from the person. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to check out those books, it's uh, an exorcist tells the stories and then an exorcist tells more stories. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating what he dealt with Um and, You know, you you go to the exorcist, the movie, and you see all those crazy things. You're like, ah, this is Hollywood. It's legit.
2: Right. And what we see. This stuff happens. What we see in the exorcist, and the story of the exorcist, is an actual possession. Demonic activity comes about in different ways. So if it affects a place or an object, it would be what we call uh, an infestation. So that's over a material object or, or location. A person may be attacked physically by demonic force, isn't possessed, but they're they're abused physically by demonic force. That's what we call. Well,
1: what does that look like? Say say more about that. Uh, it,
2: different things, you know, pushing, shoving. Saint oh. John Vianney was was uh, was really kind of jostled around while he slept by the devil because he was a great confessor and thereby came to him for the forgiveness of sins and he was reconciling people to the church. So the devil was not pleased with that. So so oppression would be a physical uh, struggle that's placed on somebody. Obsession would be a mental, a psychological attack from a dark force, from a demonic power. And then in the case of possession, it's where they actually where the devil or a demon has taken control. And there are cases of of a total possession, and that's when a person, as I'm told, has totally given themselves over. It's an act of the will on their part. Possession is not an act of the will. usually, It's the result of a weakened will and responding to grace and goodness. But a total possession takes place when the person hands himself over totally to the devil or to a demonic force. And in that case, there's very little, if anything, that an exorcist can do. Well, that, yeah, that's interesting
0: because Father Amorth pointed out that there were many cases, no matter how many times he did an exorcism, and even though they saw little progress, in the end, the person was never fully healed. And that maybe could be the, the full possession you're talking about. We've discussed this a little bit in a previous podcast. We didn't talk about exorcisms to this question, though. Why would God allow that? Why would God allow someone to be fully possessed by the devil? That seems, you know, almost made contrary
2: to to God. Well, it goes back to the to the great gift, which is also the great problem of human freedom. You know, God gave us freedom, freedom to choose to love and to serve him or freedom to choose what is contrary to that. So, and that's that that can be difficult. I mean, that's reconciling the gift of freedom with an all loving and all merciful God. So, but God ultimately respects that gift of human freedom. And so does he allow it to happen? Yes. Does he make it happen? No. Does he want it to happen? No, but he allows it to happen because of his gift of human freedom and the respect of that gift that he's given.
1: So to, to be an exorcist, um, Like I think about the charisms, right? You have to, you take a little test and you find out what you're, what you're good at. And one of them is detecting evil, right?
2: Are they detect charism discernment? I've not done that. Oh,
1: well, I think it is. (laughs) Um,
2: I'm a good detector of evil.
1: Yeah. I've never
2: heard that before. Really?
1: Well, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that it's like the people who can sense evil, um, and so is that, are, so are priests not, are, are there people drawn to this? Like they have this ability to sense evil and that's why they're drawn to be an exorcist or like, just. Like you said,
0: our diocese has one. Is this, is this priest, did, did he seek this out or is, is he just known for his, you know,
2: you know how, how does that happen? I think any bishop, or I would advise any bishop: if a priest comes forward and says, "I want to be the exorcist," yeah, he's the last guy that gets made the exorcist. Probably, like because the I, if devil I want to be pope, will make mincemeat out of him if I, he ever actually comes face to face with him. Also, no so, cardinal should say, "I want to be pope," right? Oh, exactly. Thanks, yeah, <laughs> but no, yeah, no. Um, you know, the exorcist has to be known for his humility, his holiness, uh, the fervor of his faith. So it shouldn't be something that anybody's looking for because what, what's the motivation of that? Well, if it's pride or curiosity, you're going to play right into evil's hands.
0: It's an interesting topic, huh? Well, hopefully uh, we don't have to do too many exorcisms here, here in the diocese. Now, hopefully
2: it's zero for but it, a while. And it's always important for us to remember at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, it's not a question of who's going to win in this epic struggle, we already know that because it's the victory's already won. Christ has conquered. He has broken the chains and power of sin and death. The devil has been cast down. The devil is not happy with that. And the devil's just looking to see whoever he can take with on his way down. So the battles or the, the war is won. There may be some skirmishes and some struggles still, but it's not a question of will light prevail over the darkness. You know, Christ is victorious. At the end of the day, compared to God. The devil's a yapping poodle. No offense to whoever, but that's the, or a chihuahua nipping at <laughs> the heels. That's just the reality of people it. People who love chihuahuas and are going to call it. Well, you know, and remember, never, never mess with dogs, Father. House. That's what I've learned. Cats you know, the, and dogs off limits. You know, the one time I encountered some type of what seemed like a phenomenon, a sign, a manifestation, I just told the people around me, I said, you know, it's a parlor trick it's nothing it's it's a tool it's meant to upset to disturb to scare it's just a parlor trick you know the devil's power is nothing it's insignificant compared to the love the mercy and the grace of God that he wants us to have lavishly each and every day
1: you know when i um when I hear all this, I think it kind of gives um a support to our whole restored order, oddly, because I mean, I've not seen the movie, so I didn't know it was a 12 year old girl. Um, but that's super disturbing on a whole different level to think that we, that children could have that, um, susceptibility. And we're, we're trying to fight that a little bit earlier. We're telling kids it's real and we're going to help give them grace at an earlier age. I feel like that's a really, um, great argument to, to go to restored order because you want your children to be prepared for what is, what is real.
2: Right. But let's not Run with the movie, though. It's not that children <laughs> are susceptible. No, in fact, to be honest, children, I would say, are the least susceptible because they're— a certain degree, they're much closer to God, I would argue, in purity. So, But to keep them that way, the importance of bringing them into the full life of grace as soon as possible, so from baptism as a baby and then getting them to receive their sacraments so that from an early age— they're given that armor of light and grace to go out and do battle in a hostile world. I mean, the devil's not hiding under every rock. There's evil out there. But, you know, talk about you know people blame the devil. There are a lot of times the devil's on the side shrugging his shoulders saying, don't blame me, you all did that yourself. So he's out there. He does not want the good to win through. He does not want us to grow in our relationship with the Lord. That is why we have to be responsible though in our own life of faith and for those for whom we are responsible for to make ourselves to avail ourselves of any and every opportunity to grow in discipleship to grow in grace to grow deeper and deeper every day in that love of God and that relationship because God wants a relationship with us it's not some pie in the sky notion god wants a real true and lasting personal relationship with each and every one of us if we're seeking that if we want that too if we're cooperating with that then there's nothing to be afraid of. You don't need to bless
0: yourself every 30 seconds.
2: (laughs) You'll still get grace though. But do it for love of God, (laughs) not for
0: fear of the other. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a good way to leave it there. Uh, More podcasts, dial.org slash podcast. We will see you next time here on Dive Deep.